Perv. Slut. Wow! I hate myself. Perv. Slut. Don't make this fun! Perv. Slut. The Sexhibition. Perv. This is the Fleabag Research Project. I'm Yana Rankov, and I'll be your host. Oh, you got me. I don't carry a vagina around with me. <laughs> That'd be way too provocative. Quick note from the editing room. There's a little bit of a sound issue for the first minute and a half, but it's fixed pretty much right after that. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. This is episode four of the Fleabag Research Project. I'm Yana Rankov, and this is my project, and I'm here with my friend Atusa Karimi. Say hello, please. Hi, everyone. My name is Atusa. I'm nice. friends with Yana. Yes. Atusa <laughs> is wonderful. We went to high school together. She is an electrical engineer. So initially, I want to ask, um, could you describe your relationship to the show a little bit to me? Sure. Uh, yeah. So actually... Um, I started watching Killing Eve a while ago, and uh, I recommended to my sister, who then a month later recommended Fleabag to me and told me it was by the same person. So it was already a great recommendation. I uh, watched the whole two seasons in a week. Um, loved it. As it should be. As it should yeah. be. So you got through to Fleabag mm-hmm. from Killing Eve through your sister, which yes, I think I is think so what Waller Bridge would have wanted for, yeah. you, for through another you to woman. get there that way. Would you say that Fleabag is a unique show? And could you describe it? For sure. I do think it's a unique show. I think first and foremost for me is that it was so refreshing that it's from the perspective of a woman and written uh, by a woman. It's not, I don't think that's been common uh, for a long time or uh, as long as I remember in Hollywood. Um, It's unique to me, I think, because it's the themes it develops or it sort of explores are quite dark, um, but it's done through a perspective of humor. So I, I really enjoyed it. And it's short viewing time, so you can sort of watch it anytime and accessible. I loved it. I agree. And so much happens mm-hmm. within those three hours. Just you get so much from every character and the actors give so much throughout the entire thing. You can tell sure. there's a lot of passion in it. Can I ask you, what do you think is the effect of having the first scene of the show being <laughs> Anal sex. Yeah. In a That's, I mean, the show sort of starts out, if I'm not mistaken, with her uh, just being like by the door, right? Waiting. Um, yeah, I, I think it, it sort of sets a very ominous tone initially, and then it completely sort of blindsides you with the way that it develops. And I think it sort of sets the tone for the rest of the show, that it's not afraid to um, bring up uh, the topics that are normally taboo, uh, like sex or anal sex or uh, one night stands and all of that. Um and again, it sort of ends with her narrating sort of really peacefully. And uh, uh, before sort of the credits start rolling, she goes like, do I have a massive asshole? And it's just so good. I think it really sets the tone and it sort of puts the viewer at ease by shocking. I've had a couple of people describe it as um, a way to ward off exactly. people that shouldn't be watching the show. It just get, gets rid of people immediately if you are not yeah. going to enjoy Phoebe Waller-Bridge having anal sex, <laughs> yeah. you're Might not well going to enjoy the show. Would you say that you are comfortable watching the show all the way through? Are there moments of discomfort with what you, you know, see on You know, surprisingly, screen? the first time watching it, I thought it was super easy, super smooth and easy to swallow kind of show. But the second time around, I find found it much more difficult. Um, I found it a lot more uh, dark and sort of uh, kind of started to pick, pick up on the themes that suddenly made it hard to watch. Um but yeah, first time around, I thought 
it was really good. I didn't really find any immense cringe factor or um, I thought the humor was very well placed a lot of the time. I think on the rewatch, what changes, because I've seen the show a ton of times as well, specifically like making this project happen and just trying to be really in-depth about it. Once you know that Fleabag is so sad and you know she's so lonely and you rewatch the first episode, because in the begin- when the first time you watch mm-hmm. it, you have no clue who this person is. And then when you rewatch it, you see that she is this person from mm-hmm. the very moment you meet her. It's not veiled yeah, whether exactly. she's you know, all her loneliness isn't, it's not funny anymore because you're like, man, she really is just going through it. No, for sure, for sure. I I think the humor for me, um, if we can get into that, you know, I I think initially it acts as sort of like a comic relief. So it's placed right after sort of a lot of dark scenes or grim scenes, whereas without it, the viewer would find it hard to watch. Um, And it's, you know, it's absolutely there before a person's about to have a mental breakdown or after they, they have a mental breakdown. But it also is sort of a parallel to how Fleabag herself deals with her emotions. I think it very much acts as her defense mechanism, that she deflects it all with humor, and it sort of makes you an accomplice in it. That the first time around watching it, you realize that, oh, oh, this situation is getting dark. Oh, but there's a joke. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to think about it. Um, but then the second time around, you realize just how much Fleabag is sort of enhancing the things by saying, oh, you don't take me seriously as well. You sort of neglect your own emotions and you sort of brush everything under the rug, not worrying about it. Do you think that there's different types of humor that derives from the male characters as opposed to the female huh. characters? I definitely do laugh at it a different way. I think just having the female perspective makes me understand the female characters a lot more. My experience with male humor has been either it's, you know, the really, really dumb, just for laughs, comedy, or the super intelligent, complex and sophisticated one. And that's not really how I, either of those is not how I would describe the humor in Fleabag. I would say it has sort of a refreshing and honest quality, especially from the women's side. It has such a candor to it. It doesn't try to be so witty or intelligent. It's not overly complex. It's just what's right at that moment. Exactly. It's not trying to trick the other characters, specifically not the other women. She's not... Exactly. I think there's one scene with... Uh, the guy from the the dude from the bus that they're sort of that sex shop picking something up for Claire's birthday. Yeah, exactly. And um, <laughs> feet or I guess Fleabag is really trying to get across the joke that she already has a vagina on her, like obviously referring to her own genitalia, and he just doesn't get it. And it's so good and it's so funny and it's something that I think every woman has gone through that you make a joke about the female condition and men are just so not, I guess, in the context to understand it unprepared exactly, to think outside exactly, of their own being another perspective whereas another woman got it within a second right yeah i think humor is injected around the insanity of being like mm-hmm. a female-bodied person with where your body is constantly like a threat of penetration yeah, exactly or abuse. No, that's that's absolutely it i think yeah. i think she very much as i said the her perspective on women is much more refreshing the fact that it's also not a painful show or a drama show or a depressing show just um, is much more, you know, her comedy is much more in line with what a female goes through every day. Uh, We're not constantly living in misery thinking about the state of being a woman, but um, we do find humor in the little things that over time do wear us down. Absolutely. And you have the camaraderie Mm -hmm. of talking to somebody and somebody understanding and relating and being like, it is, it'd be how it'd be. And it is this like, 
secret yep. layer of humor that women have amongst each other that exactly. men are scared of that they don't understand and they don't like it when we giggle around them because <laughs> exactly. they can't understand what we find funny because exactly. it's not funny exactly. for them. Yeah. Uh, so out of the male female characters, you know, Fleabag, her mm -hmm. sister, and the godmother, do you have a specific comedic performance that you like the most or do you find a character more Absolutely. relatable I think, than others? I think, I mean, Fleabag, Phoebe Waller-Bridge herself, she is phenomenal. She's, she's hilarious. She executes and delivers her lines perfectly. I think my favorite in terms of relatability must be Claire. I just find Claire absolutely hilarious. I think, um, you know, I, I think her and uh, Fleabag are so opposite in so many ways, but they still share so much uh, commonality. Hello, Mum died three years ago. She had a double mastectomy, but never really recovered. It was particularly hard because she had amazing boobs. She used to tell me I was lucky because mine would never get in the way. Her sister's got whoppers. But she got all her mum's good bits. You know, I was thinking about it, about how Fleabag really had, has, like, is satisfying her sexual life, but has no success outside of it, outside or in any other dimension. And um, Claire is the exact opposite. You know, she's so successful, and her relationship with mm. sexually with her husband is just so bad. What's Martin giving you? Oof, cursory stroke would be nice. What? No bang bang. <sighs> he says he's still got that thing on his... On. on his. Come on, you can do it. I don't have to yes, say. No, no, no one. Come on, please. No. Penis. Thank you. I've never made that connection before that she only has that one piece and Claire exactly. has all these other yeah, pieces. Yeah, and I think I think Claire, uh, they both have a burden with their bodies. You know, they both feel like they're given something that they can't handle. Um, Fleabag finds that because she's given this body, she now must satisfy it, and that's her duty. And I know that my body, as it is now, really is the only thing I have left, and when that gets old and unfuckable, I may as well just kill it. Whereas Claire absolutely feels like um, it's an inconvenience to her. The fact that she has these sexual tendencies and wants, but is not being satisfied, is sort of like a hindrance to her uh, career and to her performance. It's really inappropriate to jog around a graveyard. Why? flaunting your life. God, I can't wait to be old. So I think I think it's two takes on sort of the same problem, the problem that, you know, the, the female body sort of must ex exist in these two extremes. Either it's being used in, you know, this conventionally feminine way of just having sex and being beautiful and all of that. And the other alternative being that it's being used in parallel with like a, asexual male body that you're just driving it for your career um i think i think i think it's so brilliant the two the way these two women ex, you know explain the this dichotomy if you will one of the main episodes oh, yeah. with them is the silent retreat and i wanted you i wanted to ask you what you think about the comedic exaggeration of the women going to a silent retreat mm -hmm. not to put words in your mouth with comedic exaggeration but the silent retreat ver oh. retreat versus better men and what you think about you know again I don't think general. I picked it up the first time watching it but the second time watching it it just sort of um, as you said it just crystallizes and emphasizes just how much we tell men to scream at the top of their lungs and tell how they're feeling and how much we tell women just to internalize and stay quiet and solid within your own mind the fact that that these men were able to gather around in rooms and shout profanities violent profanities at, at these sex dolls whereas the women were forced to stay quiet and clean, you know, it just goes to show how much we still 
don't allow women to experience emotions the way that they want to themselves. Because, you know, that scene is sort of contrasted with um, when, you know, Fleabag gets a flashback with Boo, where she says, if I meet myself, I just want to have a go at myself. And she just wants to scream at herself and tell herself, you know, you don't take your emotions seriously. You need to get your shit together, all of that. That's what she needs. And I think Claire as well, that's what she needs. She, she, she needs like a cathartic, is that the word, cathartic moment of expressing herself, not to be silent cleaning and gardening uh, when they get into trouble with the headmaster-esque type of person at the silent retreat. Again, it reminds you so much of how women are belittled and condescend for laughing out loud. Infantilized, exactly. they're like children, yeah. they're adults. Yeah. I specifically like when she walks into the room at the mm -hmm. silent retreat or she listens and this very scared man is like, you, you have can't to leave. be here, you have to leave. Um, this reminds me of the figure of Harry, yes. her first boyfriend. If you want to talk a little bit about the humor that yeah. you're out, see, oh, you're yeah. already laughing because Harry's hilarious. And I wanted to ask you if you think we get a genuine portrayal of Harry and Fleabag's relationship, or if Fleabag doctors the relationship mm -hmm. to portray it the way. Yeah, no, I, I do wants. definitely think we get a biased view from Fleabag's perspective, um, and sort of, you know, that's that's all throughout the show until sort of the climax of the first season at the end. Uh, Harry, I think, but all that matters really in the relationship between Fleabag and Harry is that Harry is no intellectual or sexual match for Fleabag. Oh my gosh, you feel good. I wish he'd just fuck me. All he wants to do is make love. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm amazing. He's wasting me. He doesn't satisfy her sexually at all. Um, and the intimacy that he wants and he needs. For example, he recommends, you know, let's spice things up by um, doing a surprise for each other every day. You know, I think that's something that, that sounds, to be romantic, that's so romantic. unrealistic, you know, for so many women. I'm sure there are some people who would enjoy it, but it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Whereas she just wants to talk and she wants somebody to control, uh, to, you know, not have to be somebody else around, um, her partner. I think that's the most bizarre thing about Harry, that he also does not believe in female masturbation or really takes no consideration, uh, yeah, doesn't take Fleabag's sexual pleasure into consideration at all. I think we should stop masturbating. And don't say anything yet. I just, I just think it might help us focus on each other, you know, being more present. Really successful couples do it, you know. Um, I've hidden our vibrators. Our. Um, I also think Fleabag finds him extremely predictable and boring. The fact that, you know, to the dot, she can predict mm. what he's going to do. And only when he becomes unpredictable at the end, that is when Fleabag is suddenly a little shocked. I think Harry is hilarious, but, and I think it's a relationship that a lot of women can relate to, a relationship where you're just in it for the safety and the stability and the predictability, but it really doesn't satisfy any dimensions of your personality. Uh, it doesn't, yeah, intimacy, intellectual or sexual. Harry also gets the line, you're not like other girls, you can keep up, which, which is, is a joke. But I find it interesting that he's the one to get that line out of all the men within mm -hmm, the show, mm -hmm. he's the one who says that to her. Um, also with Harry, because Fleabag is clearly just so much more mm. aware and smarter. That's what you said. He can't intellectually or sexually satisfy her. What do you think? Well, I think you're being really sexy. <laughs> Don't. Oh, I'm joking. 
I never masturbate. I don't know how. And I'd mm. like to, a little bit later, ask you about, you seem to think, not to think, but you keep referencing that Fleabag has like a sexual life mm -hmm. that's pretty full. And I wanted to ask you more mm -hmm. about your thoughts on mm -hmm. that. But back to Harry, he's got, um, yeah. do you pity Harry at all? Or, or, and do you think that Fleabag has sexual power over huh, him? That's, yeah, I, you know, that's, that's an interesting point. I, I don't pity Harry, you know, I, I find it quite difficult to pity men. <laughs> but, um, but in general, I, Harry has absolutely no self-awareness. And I think, I don't think he is exactly wronged in the relationship. I, obviously, I think he does get hurt, but I don't think he is wronged as much as, um, I guess, Fleabag is wronged. He has absolutely no self-awareness and cannot obviously extend that awareness to his own partner. Doesn't understand that she is absolutely in a state of grief, um, that she's lost the only person that she really has an intimate connection with in the show in season one. Um, so no, I don't pity him. And then the second part of your question, I'm sorry, completely slipped my mind. If you think that Fleabag has sexual power over mm. him, or it doesn't have to be sexual power, do you think that Fleabag Absolutely. I think I think she sort of Harry. has that power over all the people that she sleeps with. And that's sort of the, the fact that she builds this emotional wall around herself. You know, she, because she's so hurt and so vulnerable, she makes herself be not vulnerable by not allowing another person in. And I think when you're the person that's less vulnerable in a relationship, you automatically have power. Uh, you automatically have the power to hurt the other individual. And I think she definitely has that with all the people that she sleeps with. You know, for her, I think sex and intimacy are so decoupled. It's mm -hmm. it's bizarre. I don't know if this is a valid assessment of her, but I do think she is sort of the, the, the female equivalent of a man with the Madonna whore complex. She sort of doesn't have, yeah, she, she can't, it's almost <laughs> as if she can't get, yeah. At least talk about it. That's amazing. It's as if she can't be sexually aroused by people that she's intimate with. You know, it's, um, she, she has them yeah. so, it's like, as if for her, it's like a cognitive, like dissonance that she's like, there's a hard line between being sexually aroused and there's a hard line between being intimate. And the only person that it seems like she's intimate with that she can talk to about is another heterosexual woman, right? Is Boo. And then all the men she just, that she finds arousing, she would never intellectually, yeah, she would never, was it, intimately consider. Or like the bank manager, like she can get intimate with him and talk to him about her emotions, but she's like, I would never sleep with them. So to you, sex and intimacy are completely decoupled within the I show. think for Fleabag, at least, I think that is one of her, yeah, I think that's one of her Fleabag. fatal flaws. And I think that's probably the main thing that um, she needs to work on, <laughs> if I were her psychiatrist, even though I'm not an expert in the field at all. So yeah, I think, I think that's ultimately what she brushes under the rug so much, is that she associates sex with the, as you said, the currency of youth. She associated with sort of a, a responsibility or duty that comes with the body and she absolutely does not get any sort of uh, emotional satisfaction from it. I think she has so many mm -hmm. ways of faking intimacy as well. If we're talking archetypes of people within the show, would you say that you've met some of these people? Do you recognize anyone you specifically? You know, surprisingly, I haven't met any of the women. Oh, I've, I oh, think really? I've met the women. I think I've met the women. I don't okay, think I've met Okay, interesting. Yeah, no, complete honest yeah. for me. I, I think the women for sure are... Um, exaggerations, all of them in many ways are exaggerations of how, for example, I feel or how I know my close friends feel. But the men are absolute archetypes for me. And I think it might have to do with the fact that I'm in a male dominated field and I interact with men a lot more than I do with women. 
Mm. Yeah. Snaps forward, male dominated. I don't even know what to wear to work because I work with men. I don't know what the dress code is. Exactly. Yeah. No, it really, it's so different, I think, when you interact with so many, like Harry. I've met so many Harrys, you know, so many, uh, the, what was the guy, the dude at the bus? I keep forgetting his name. Bus Roden. Bus Roden. He is awful. He's awful. So many of those. And um, even even the bank manager and his sort of deeply rooted misogyny that he's trying to work on. Those are very much male archetypes that I've met and interacted with. Uh, but the women were absolutely refreshing. And I thought they were so realistic. You know, they had such complex attributes to them. Like I think, for example, the godmother, she comes off as this extremely condescending, cocky character that only cares about herself and her own work. But there is one scene that in the, when they're holding that sort of memorial thing for Fleabag and Claire's mother, you see her for what she is. She comes off as extremely jealous and extremely insecure in the way that her and her, I guess, husband's or boyfriend's relationship have formed. And you suddenly see that all of that condescension, all of that blatant, you know, display of sexual power is just to sort of disguise the fact that she's so insecure, insecure in uh, her emotional uh, life in her intimate relationship. I thought that was so realistic. Uh, Claire as well is somebody who comes off as so competent and so successful. And she's, you know, she doesn't hesitate one second to tell you that she's successful. But her personal life, the one that she probably has the most control over, is absolutely in shambles. And she comes off as utterly helpless, especially in the last episode, which is in direct contrast to what she said she was going to do. Right? I think it's it's much more realistic. You know, we have such obvious female tropes in Hollywood, like this strong black woman that, you know, immediately can leave an abusive relationship. For sure. They were written by people who read <laughs> Twitter and say, what will Twitter say about this character? And then they write something and then they make a, an actress do something. And then they're like, this is a person and Twitter and approves we're it and we're good. And we've created, this is art. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, this we've is made art. nothing. No. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I definitely like the female characters, I think, a lot more. Uh, but the male characters were very, very obvious to me as persons that I've met in real life. It's, it's fun to look at the men as just like archetypes mm -hmm. or just dudes that bother you. You know, and the women are these like people with all these emotional relationships and all these motivations. And you're mm -hmm. like, yeah, this is my reality yeah. in a lot of ways. A lot of the women I know are a lot more, emo not that men aren't, or that I don't know emotionally complex men, but just mm -hmm. on the day to day, the people you meet, that's how life rushes yeah. at you. If I can ask mm -hmm. a little bit more about the godmother, what are your thoughts on her relationship to Fleabag oh. specifically? One scene that sort of pops to my mind that she tells Fleabag that, you know, after a few drinks, you remind me so much of your mother. Because of the way that uh, she met her boyfriend or the father uh, through Fleabag's mom, uh, she feels guilt, I think. And she feels a certain uh, shame around it. And so she doesn't like to be reminded of how, again, this relationship formed. I think another thing that I'm sort of considering right now is that Fleabag sleeps with her best friend's boyfriend. And in many ways, that's exactly what the godmother did too. There's a, definitely a parallel there. They're very similar um, and they're, you know, immediately when you hear that story of somebody sleeps with their best friend's boyfriend, it's such an immediate immoral black. It's such an ethical no-no. But both of them oh. sort of make it um, add a couple, you know, drops of white into this like black pit that suddenly you're like, oh, there is, this is a shade of gray. Um, that I'm not used to. To me, the godmother's relationship to Fleabag is that she sees herself in Fleabag and also sees the person that she feels most guilt towards uh, in Fleabag. Um, 
and again, because Fleabag doesn't have sort of a support system like Claire does, doesn't have, you know, a husband, doesn't have a successful career behind her, I think um, it makes the godmother, it makes Fleabag such an easy target to the godmother. I think that's a really profound way of looking at it. I have not made the connection about who they sleep with and how that's a very close thing to do, but it adds to my perception or to my thought that Fleabag and the godmother are the only mm-hmm. characters who are on each other's level and they can talk to each other through these like veiled societal mm-hmm. power moves in a way that the other characters don't understand. When she shows up with asshole guy and the godmother is like, he's so handsome and she did it because she knows that the godmother is going to approve of her or that she won't be able, not even approve, exactly. but she knows it'll bother her or she lets exactly. the cat go, you know, and the godmother makes yeah. her the waitress and they're the only ones who can communicate and combat each other at that level. Yeah. And what you said makes a lot of sense about the parallel being they have like yeah. the same moral gray area. Sexual power means exactly. a lot to both these women. It is imperative yeah. to both of exactly. their beings no, and absolutely. their self-worth. I agree. You also mentioned guilt and shame, which I am always afraid that I'm projecting mm-hmm. guilt and shame because I think those are the two mm-hmm. female emotions Constantly. that every woman yeah. feels all the time. I'm I'm shocked with how much guilt is my first emotion towards things. Something good will happen and I'll feel guilty mm-hmm. for it happening to me. Something bad will happen and I'll feel guilty because it's my fault. You know, no matter what it is, mm-hmm. guilt is the immediate response. And I think that I read a lot of guilt and shame into everything. But in an interview with Vogue, Phoebe Waller-Bridge mentioned that she's interested in anything that has to mm-hmm. do with guilt or shame. And now I'm reading those layers into Fleabag mm-hmm. with a little bit more autorial intent. I'm like, if she's interested in these mm-hmm. themes, it's not crazy for mm-hmm. me to be like, this is all around. But you're right. I'm sure I've never thought of the I'm not godmother as somebody who also experiences mm-hmm. guilt and shame, which, you know, if she's a normal mm-hmm. person, she does. And that's an interesting parallel to realize between her and Fleabag that they feel mm-hmm. guilt and shame over the same thing. Because those emotions are so hard to represent because sure. they hang over you. Speaking of guilt and shame, I would love to know what you think about the character of the bank manager and his presence within the show. You know, I I think I I said this earlier, but I do think he's very much a foil character for Fleabag, and he's very much a parallel. He's sort of um, a person who has deeply misogynistic tendencies. Finally, he sees that, you know, he sexually assaults uh, an an employer or like, or yeah, sexually assaults a colleague and then has to deal with it, has to deal with the consequences. And because Fleabag has had this sort of really shocking experience with him where she accidentally flashes him and then uh, gets called slut and then later on sees that this man is trying to improve himself, she's sort of, um, you know, I'm thinking in electrical terms, but it kind of feels like this person's going through the same motions. Yeah, sort of going through the same motions, but but with a time delay. So it thinks that, okay, the bank manager is me in 20 days or in 30 days or in 40 days to the point that I will make a mistake um, and I will have to deal with the consequences. And that's exactly what happens at the end of the season, that they suddenly met, suddenly meet up again. He sees her by the street, um, and he comes in and gives her another chance. Um, the same way that I guess he was given the other chance of trying to improve himself and go to that um, you know, better man retreat. I think their relationship is one of equal terms and that they're both flawed and they both want to improve. Um, they just need to reach that point, sort of the hit rock bottom, to pick themselves up. I quite like his character. I think it's a, I think it's a realistic male character. That again, that Fleabag is so good at, you know, showing the complexities in female characters. But with the bank manager, he, she, 
you know, shows the uh, complexity of a male character who's misogynistic, but isn't all black either. He's not this vile woman hating villain. He's a person mm-hmm. with these tendencies and tried to better himself too. I would agree with you as well. I do think he's a foil. I do think that him and Fleabag experience mm-hmm. a lot of equality. And you did mention this, mm-hmm. that he calls her a slut, but she mm-hmm. also calls him a perk. And I think because the show centers on Fleabag, the word slut is the one that mm-hmm. moves through the show with us versus the bank manager suffers mm-hmm. under the yoke of being a perv as much, not as much as Fleabag, perhaps just in a different, mm-hmm. just in a male way. That's kind of, it's a false equivalency. Mm-hmm. Like, it's mm-hmm. the same. He's labeled a perv and that Absolutely. has destroyed his life. And these words have mm-hmm. so much power that we don't even no, but- seem to realize. I think the bank manager is one of the most interesting mm-hmm. presences within the show. And the fact that they only meet up three times is really interesting. They start the show Mm -hmm. together and they end the show together in these like interesting ways. Fleabag came out or was written Mm -hmm. before the Me Too movement, which is really interesting because to me, it reads like something that would have come out five years, like something that in a post Me Too Mm -hmm. media landscape, we don't have anything as nuanced as Fleabag yet. And Fleabag was before the Me Too movement. I just think it's interesting that she, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, made this character that... You've seen BoJack Horseman. I haven't, I unfortunately. Think. I have Have not. we talked about BoJack Horseman? Never mind, never mind. Unnecessary reference. Unnecessary reference then. There's nothing more annoying than like <laughs> being around film study students who assume that you everything under the sun. Oh, and if you haven't seen something, they're like, oh. Oh, I I, it is on my list, though. I yeah. do. I do like want to watch it. That show, for example, started right before the Me Too movement and then mm. lived all the way through it and just mm. goes through so many like thought processes within the show mm. through the characters. And it's very worth watching huh. for an exploration of that, I think. But yeah, he, I think mm-hmm. the bank manager creates such an interesting parallel mm. and such a real life, you know, like this person. Men also suffer under misogyny. It's hard to have to be sexually powerful all the time and have to be in that mm-hmm. realm a lot. Um, if we can return sure. to something I mentioned earlier, let me know if I misinterpreted what you said. Fleabag's mm-hmm. sex life as being fulfilled. Could you elaborate a little bit on that or how you get that from the show or where mm-hmm. you think That's those moments point. present themselves? I think, again, compared directly with Claire, um, the other sort of uh, woman that's, you know, close to her age and uh, the mm. one of the only women that we've seen the show, I think um, while Claire is getting none, she's getting you know, quite a bit. You know, she... She doesn't have problem uh, picking up men or coming off as sexually appealing and sleeping with them. I do think she has, again, sexual power. I don't, but I think it's sort of a guise for the lack of power that she feels in her everyday life. Whether or not she finds the sex fulfilling, I don't think she does. She, you know, she <laughs> masturbates to Barack Obama, which is absolutely hilarious. Which but it also hilarious. goes to show that what turns her on isn't necessarily explicitly sexual is that she she seeks that sort of power and that sort of intellectual capability that a president might have um or that the other thing that uh turns her on is um she remembers having sex with this older guy that who would breathe on every thrust you're so young you're so young i must be about that all the time somebody acknowledging it's two things that turns her on like an into a person who's an intellectual match perhaps and has power and also uh, a person that acknowledges that she's young and beautiful and sees her for she, who she is and not just um, 
a quick bang, if you will. So I don't think she finds her sexual encounters necessarily fulfilling. Must be a lot these days. Especially when I'm bored. Or angry. Or upset. Or happy. She does say she's sitting on the toilet and she says, I think about fucking all the time. I absolutely adore that monologue. I'm not obsessed with sex. I just can't stop thinking about it. The performance of it. The awkwardness of it. The drama of it. The moment you realize someone wants your body. Not so much the feeling of it. And that, to me, seems like a mm -hmm. thesis to the show. Uh, she said mm -hmm. it in the second episode, I believe. And she just, you know, she puts it out mm -hmm. there. She's obsessed with sex. And in the end, she says, I wish I'd, I wish I didn't even know fucking existed. I wish mm -hmm. it wasn't a part of my life. Yeah, absolutely. That switch that not not the switch this yeah. unraveling of her mm -hmm. sexual life is so interesting to witness because you know like i feel like i've watched people unravel sexually and be like sexual experiences mm -hmm. happen to them that they have trouble mm -hmm. working through and it changes their constant sexual encounters and watching it portrayed like honestly and subtly is so it wonderful. It absolutely is so refreshing. I think she sort of like hits it right on the head. Like she absolutely puts it out there that women think about sex a lot. Women um, might even obsess about sex a lot, but our experience or our thought process of it is less with the performance of it or sorry, less with the actual feeling of it or like the feeling of penetration or anything like that and more to do with what ensues before and after it. And the fact that, you know, as you said, there's so much shame and guilt around it. You know, the fact that she says, I'm not, you know, I'm not obsessed with sex or something, but I, I think about it all the time. You know, it just, I think it's, it's um, sort of societal shame kind of seeping through her that she can't even admit that she wants sex as much as a man wants. Um, and that she wish she wishes that it didn't exist because she doesn't associate it with uh, being a good person or being a good woman or something that she thinks has ruined her life. Again, probably hinting back to Boo and all of that. How do you feel about Boo and Fleabag's friendship and the way it is on screen? Is it relatable to you? Is you know, I think it's you? it's sort of like a, the dream friendship that everybody wants, right? It's so intimate. It's so uh, wholesome. It's somebody that wants to do run a business with you that understands you intimately challenges the way that you think like for example i think they're talking about um a kid who was butt fucking a hamster with the end of a pencil and again sexual transgression breaches everywhere. of consent they're everywhere exactly she puts them in exactly every and then episode. you know boo's uh, perspective is that why do they lock the kid up he needs help that people make mistakes right that's why we have erasers at the end of pen pencils boo is an intellectual match for Fleabag, also offers that intimacy. But again, because, mm. you know, sexuality, her sex life and her intimate life are so decoupled for Fleabag that, you know, she, and then she then goes ahead and hurts Boo. I do think it's, a, I, I do think it's a realistic friendship. Um, I think it's probably, you know, at the end when it's revealed what exactly happens with the relationship, you feel a sense of betrayal, at least I did as a viewer because you've seen how pure this friendship is throughout and how important it is to flee back and why the loss of this person is so important. Um, so you definitely feel a sense of betrayal. This is an interruption from the editing process. Here, I briefly say Harry instead of Martin. So just a heads up for the next little bit, I do correct myself almost right away, but just so you know. Speaking mm -hmm. of sense of betrayal, right in the middle of the show, I think it's the end of episode three. Um, that's when 
-hmm. Harry kisses Fleabag. The only silent moments within the show where he kisses her and she just looks at the camera and she cannot joke. Mm -hmm. She doesn't even say anything. And she leaves the party and immediately sleeps with Busserone, but that's a different story. Um, what, what do you think about Harry? It's a little bit of a lame question, but I think there's a lot of nuance within Harry's relationships towards Fleabag. How do you see it coming? How do you contextualize what mm -hmm. happened? The transgressive aspect there. I'm not sure if anything immediately comes to my mind. I I think, you know, as, as I mentioned, I just think Harry is so not up, up to level to Fleabag, at least um, that's Fleabag's perspective. My apologies. I was talking about Martin. Oh, I Martin. Okay, okay, good talk. That's why you were completely on Martin. me. Martin? Yeah, oh, yeah. My God. Martin. Yeah. Uh, you know, he is the. <laughs> that's exactly what Fleabag says the first time his <laughs> name falls. She goes, Martin. Yeah, that's exactly you know, what he she says. He is absolute painful character that I feel like we've all met to in real life. Um, what happens with Martin? I think Martin is a deeply flawed character, too. He's a very little man, and I think he feels very belittled and emasculated by his very mm. successful wife. You know, again, I'm psychoanalyzing without any uh, expertise in the field, but you know, but the fact that you know Do he it. watches like gangbangs or Japanese gangbangs, which are you know notoriously about male domination, just goes to show what he is missing or what he fantasizes about. So I think that's Martin, and the fact that he tries to kiss. Fleabag, the reason why I think it's quiet and there's no joke is because it's such a traumatizing moment for Fleabag. She sort of gets a flashback to, I can't hurt another person that I love, uh, who's Claire. And uh, mm. so unexpected for her too. Martin is, I think, just an absolute menace. I think he's so manipulative in the show. <clears throat> he's a lazy person who doesn't care about his wife. He is the borderline alcoholic. I think the context around Martin is just how a successful and a good person like Claire can be forced in many ways to stay with, with him. And uh, the fact that Claire absolutely feels powerless in the relationship that uh, they haven't had sex because Martin still has something on his penis. Again, it's not really explored, but um, you know, the fact that Claire is willing to put up with it, uh, willing to put up with letting go of a promotion, uh, willing to put up with her stepson that, might have uh, problems and might need special needs, uh, like care. Great example, again, of a realistic woman. The shame and the guilt, right? Yeah. There is one scene, too, as well, guilt. that, you know, as sort of an excuse as to why she's not taking the promotion, she says, what am I going to do? Like, leave my fucked up sister and my weird stepson and leave and go to Finland, right? Again, shame and guilt for trying to pursue what she wants. All, like, embodied by Martin mm. as a character. I think that there's a decent amount of mixing of sex and family mm. within Fleabag which I think Waller-Bridge is not in like a clickbaity way mm -hmm. brave to explore, but I do think that there is, you know, she even jokes about mm -hmm. her and Claire being a couple and she can find out her own dad's penis and her dad walks into the shop and she says the next man who enters oh, is getting yeah, Not ideal, yeah. You know, I do think that there is a, an acknowledgement of sexual dynamics even mm. within family and I think it's done very subtly I don't necessarily know if you want to brush mm. on that or talk about that but I think it's a very powerful thing to add to a show and it adds mm. a lot of solace I think to 
those types of dynamics that are just around us all the time that we struggle to acknowledge because they feel so taboo when we're just human. It's not evil or awful. It's just exactly. around us all the no, time. No, that's a, that's a very cool perspective. I hadn't really thought about it that way. I, I do think, as you said, especially now knowing that it was before the Me Too movement, um, you know, she, she has been so bold in the things that she's pursued. And um, I guess sort of the incest type mm. kind of clickbaity thing is not, you know, it's not to be dismissed either. Again, though, I do want to say the way I saw all of that was, again, in, in the type that, you know, how decoupled sex and intimacy are for Fleabag and the fact that she really doesn't understand the relationship at all. Um, when she's, you know, jokes that her and Claire could be a couple and Claire says, you know, the fact that you even think about that, you know, is sick or disgusting, something like that. It just goes to show that is Fleabag missing something in the way that she sees intimacy and sex and relationships is... Uh, you know, why is she sort of, you know, trespassing these boundaries that everybody else seems to acknowledge and know so well? And again, I think Claire is so insistent in calling Martin her husband, her husband, all of that. I think, again, um, Fleabag doesn't understand that or doesn't see it the same way, at least. Claire also has the iconic line of, I think she goes, I have a job, a Burberry coat and a husband or a yeah. husband, a job and a Burberry coat. And there are just all these like symbols of female upwards mobility that yeah. she checks off a list and she's like, what? I've achieved I, it. Exactly. I've achieved, right? <laughs> but has she? Exactly. But has she? Claire specifically, I feel mm. like I know a lot of Claire's. There's a lot of Claire's in my life. I love a lot of Claire's very deeply. Just these like fundamentally anxious women um, who are wonderful, who are so wonderful. I very much think that the uncoupling of intimacy and romance are, as you said, like this kind of mm -hmm. female Madonna whore complex. Uh, and I really like, enjoy seeing it. And I enjoy her looking for intimacy and then having sex instead and not getting it fulfilled. And I think it's a very well-rounded view on sex. And I think it's a very honest view on sex. Um, but I wanted to ask about status within the show. And just, do you think Fleabag is a high-status character or a low-status character? Oh, that's, that's Where would you put her? Because of the fact that I empathize with her and I sympathize with her scenario or her situation and I sort of know her personality through the show, I find it very difficult to call her low-class uh, or low-status character because I think she isn't, you know, we're judging her at the most bottom, the lowest part of her life. Um, I think Claire could easily be classified as, you know, a high-status character so in a very conventional way. Uh, but again, I think her sort of a powerlessness yeah. that comes through in the last episode, her inability to understand the truth, um, or I guess accept the truth, I think she understands it, also makes her sort of a low status character. Yeah, I have a hard time, I think, um, organizing the characters into high and low status. That's fair. They're very meaty characters with a lot of relationships within each other, with different power dynamics sure. within those relationships. On a similar vein, though, do you think that Fleabag confuses humor for status? Oh, confuses humor for status. Do you mm. think she thinks that being funny and funnier than people and making fun of people gives her status? And do you think it gives her status? <laughs> I think it's sort of a, the case of like fake it till you make it, right? Like I think she's, as you said, she has so many ways of um, mm. faking intimacy. She has so many ways of uh, protect, pretending that she's okay and she's doing well when the reality is she isn't. And humor is, I think, her primary sort of weapon that she wields and she tries to ease the mind of the viewer by using humor, making sure the viewer doesn't find the situations too painful. 
she also uses it on other characters. And I think there's one scene where they're actually driving to the silent retreat with Claire. She makes a joke about like, what's the lesbian equivalent of like grinder or something. And <laughs> and then Claire Flat immediately man. says, don't make this fun. Or like, uh, she starts absolutely she starts her eyes up. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of my favorite moments in that episode or just of the show. Every time Claire laughs, yeah, she starts no, crying. She does too. Or again, like, uh, it's so, yeah, it's so, it's so funny. funny, but so sad, right? Like, imagine if you, if that happened to you in real life and there wasn't like a funny yeah. quip after it, right? Like, you'd be traumatized. I don't think it gives her status. I think, um, at least not in the first season at all. She still needs to work through her um, her problems again through the through the second uh, watch. I think I came to this conclusion. The first watch, I thought, oh, she's hilarious. She's a clever person, just dealing with it. But the second round through, you're like, oh no, this person is just deeply sad and lonely she you know jogs in the graveyard and she's having such a hard time like dealing with grief and you know there's this other scene that they see this um man who uh, fakes grief and she gets so offended and she's like no he's here every day he's an imposter he's a con artist um i think yeah she, she tries to use humor but i don't know i don't think she's successful don't necessarily know if she's successful either but she does she does trick us in the I, I really agree with you on the first viewing you're like this is so funny uh you know you have a completely different mm-hmm. perspective on it and it just I think Phoebe mm-hmm. Waller-Bridge is an absolute genius and I think that to write that like deeply and to write so yeah. funnily is a really it's really difficult to make it funny every time but to see like wow I think like, it this is really yeah you're beyond humor. I agree. I think it requires like profound um, knowledge and profound understanding of sort of the human condition, especially like a person going through grief and shame and guilt, as you said, all at the same time. We haven't really touched on the grief yet. If you want to speak a little bit to that, I think specifically Phoebe Waller's Bridges mm-hmm. performance of grief when she grieves or she's reminded of Boo, her whole demeanor changes. Yeah. And I think it's very powerful. You know, I, I think grief, you know, everybody experiences differently and everybody goes through it differently, but I do think there are some strategies and some ways that are better than others. And I definitely think the path that Fleabag has chosen to sort of essentially deflect it and only get reminded of it in sort of passing moments, I think is probably the least effective way. And as you said, like you can, these flashbacks are a lot of the time a surprise both to the viewer and obviously to Fleabag when they happen. There's sort of cut scenes in between where, um, or situations that, you know, she sees a pen and gets reminded of her conversation with Boo or um, situations like that are so random to, to us that obviously bring up this like huge bubble of emotion that's inside this person. Um, again, I think uh, another grief that they probably haven't dealt with and it's sort of paralleled as well is um, the loss of their mother. And the way the dad is dealing with it, the fact that he mm-hmm. thinks about his ex-wife every day, and also the fact that the godmother can't deal with this grief. You know, it's it's all in there. It's just so much shame and guilt and grief all stewed up. And uh, yeah. We love shame and guilt and grief. And we love shame and guilt. Perhaps, uh, not that we're out of time, but we are coming into the last final minute. I wanted to ask you about more, a little bit about the sex exhibition, because mm-hmm. we haven't quite touched on it yet. Um, but if there's anything else you wanted to bring up or any other aspect, perhaps a performance you wanted to talk about, please feel free to bring it up and we'll talk about the it. The sex exhibition, <laughs> I mean, it's quite hilarious. I think um, it, the godmother and Fleabag diverge in the way that they express their sexuality, I think, uh, whereas Fleabag is sort of careless with it. The godmother sort of 
has it as this like amazing prize and she's like I've taken a picture of my body every day for 30 days yeah women need Ex to have a healthy perspective exactly, on my body exactly hilarious and then or that you know the fact that she remembers where she had her first orgasm yeah. on a bidet and like when she was 11 or something yeah you know all of that like it just goes to show how um incredibly um yeah she views her body as like this amazing product uh, whereas Fleabag is so careless with it right she's like I'd mm. fuck anyone excellent use of the mm. word product I think whenever producing and product and we use these like very very capitalist mm. terms is very revelatory when they come to us and we say them it is a product she yeah. is selling it in a lot of ways that's very true yeah. I haven't thought of it that way I, I and I, so I think this exhibition is sort of rightfully the uh, the climax too because yeah, for sure. It's right the climax, the climax. And the, um, sort of the lowest that Fleabag feels throughout the show as well is because she's standing in sort of this immense display of another person's sexual power and she feels belittled in every single aspect. Emotionally, the fact that she has to serve is actually the fact that she's surrounded by this woman's like obvious pleasure and satisfaction in her own you know, body and sexuality. And also, um, when Claire doesn't show up, the other person that she was getting sort of close with, the fact that the asshole guy is like, okay, well, I don't actually love you, I love somebody else. All of this are an immense hit to her. She's belittled in every single dimension aspect. And then when finally, sort of Claire, you know, does the coup de grace and says, you know, after what you did to, uh, after what you did to Boo, right? Um, mm. I think, yeah, I think that's, the sex solution was a very powerful episode. I agree with you. I think it's the natural <laughs> climax, exactly of the show and you know I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge is very good at writing very explicitly writing what she mm -hmm. means but disguising it in dialogue like the monologue about mm -hmm. I'm not obsessed with sex or the godmother speech where she says it's about sex it's a sex is about mm -hmm. or like it's about power you know and she says it and yes that's what the show is about it's about sex and it's about power and you know Fleabag mm -hmm. itself is a sex edition yeah I also Think, and I would love to ask Phoebe Waller-Bridge about this because I think she really <laughs> dislikes other artists. The Godmother is this insufferable character. The Bus Rodent is a documentarian and Harry's a musician. And there are all these like mm -hmm. uncomfortable, emotional, like weird, mm -hmm. like sexual messes to her that I think she can't really, uh, maybe I'm mm -hmm. once again projecting. Art in general seems quite embarrassing to Fleabag because it's such an obvious display of emotion. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting, I think, that she wrote this and then wrote the artists as these insufferable mm -hmm. characters. Yeah, that's, a, that's a great point, actually. I haven't thought about that. I watched <laughs> movies for four years and then they gave me a degree and they were like, all right, go out there. Go out there, kid. You're ready. You are ready. Yeah. I believe you. Well, I, I think we're right about Perfect. it at the one hour mark. Thank you so much for this excellent, excellent, excellent interview. Thanks so much for, for all of your insight. I really appreciate it. No, I thank you so much, Yana. I actually really enjoyed it because, like, I had like I don't think anybody other than my sister has watched Fleabag close to me, so it's really nice talking to a fellow human about Fleabag. I appreciate you talking to me. I also want to apologize because I do think you're gonna have to edit quite a bit because I can't speak. Just wanted to pop in from the editing process to say that this episode has taken me the least amount of time to edit out of all of the episodes I've done so far. <laughs>